0: Like Austin said, one of our core words here is unpredictable, and I love it because even if some people came in this morning, they saw that the room was out of place, but they still sat in the same exact area that they sit every single weekend, and I'm like, you're so predictable, that's that's the point of this, but I love it, I do love it, and we are creatures of habit, we are, um, and the reason why I love this setup too is it it's a reminder that our, our pastors and our shepherds and our overseers, that they come from the congregation, that we are all in this together, and it's also a reminder of what we were created for when we set up the room like this. I remember going to Israel and seeing the synagogues, which is like the earliest form of, of church, in my opinion, and in the synagogue, they would all sit like this and face each other, and it's a reminder that that's exactly what we were created for. We are created for one another, and we were created to center our lives around God's word, right? Right? Not a, not a pastor, not a communicator, not a preacher around God's word. And so that's what we're going to do today. And I love it. It's so rich with just symbolism. And if you guys have your Bibles, I want to ask you to turn to Luke chapter 18, and we're going to get there in probably like seven minutes. We'll be there. I've got a little bit of an intro I'm going to, I'm going to dive into. Um, just recapping this series that we've been in called The Unexamined Life. And we have spent the last couple of weeks talking about this reality that we experience in the unexamined life but it's only when we examine the unexamined life and there's so much underneath the surface of who we are that's worth exploring because it uncovers so much rich meaning that we miss out on if we don't go beneath the surface and the first thing that we talked about is we learn how to connect with ourself and our own story which is something that a lot of us are uncomfortable with. And we have to go back in order to go forward. We have to go back to our experiences, our past. And then we can go forward. And once we do that, we begin to see who God is more clearly. And once we see who God is more clearly, we then start to understand ourselves even more so when we recognize who he is and how loved we are. And then what happens naturally is I call it the the third stage. Once that happens, and even as Austin preached on, A lot of times we hit that wall, that spiritual wall, and once we hit that wall, we learn more about ourselves than we ever did in the good times, amen? It's the hard times that reveal our foundation and it reveals who we really are and the things that we've been holding on to, our security, our hope, our salvation. And what that does, that journey inward, is it forces us to wrestle with the things that we really want to live our lives for. And then we journey out. And we have this third stage where we start to truly, really connect with others in a way that God designed us for. And I don't know about you, but as I look around at the state of our world, I think it's pretty apparent that we might need some help when it comes to learning how to relate to one another, right? I don't know if it was 2020 that kind of uh, people were just at home bored, but you saw criticism and condemnation and comparison at an all-time high, and my opinion is truth, and you better listen to me. And I felt like I was back on the playground in elementary school, if I can be honest. And it revealed, I think, humanity left to ourselves and our boredom, and it also reminded me that we need to learn how to see others more clearly as human beings, right, not as problems, not as an argument that we need to win over, as people with a soul and a heart created in the image of God that need to be reminded of that. And so now more than ever, I think that we need the power and the life of Jesus to lead us in how we relate to one another. And that's what today is gonna to be about. And it's so easy to stand at a distance and to hurl rocks, Right? And those rocks can be a metaphor or a symbol for our opinion, our criticism. It's easy to do that. It's easy to stand back and to offer up our unwarranted opinion or criticism. What's hard is actually developing a relationship to actually speak into someone's life. What's hard is getting close enough to actually see someone else and not just their perspective or their opinion or the way that you think that they're living their life. It's easy to throw stones, but it's not effective. The reason why we'd rather stay at a distance and offer our opinions and our criticism is because that's easier than actually moving in closer. And there's this dichotomy in life that happens. I've I've learned this as I've, I've gotten older. Um, The closer we get with someone, the more potential for both pain and joy. Have you noticed that? The closer we get to someone, the more potential for uh, criticism to sting more, right? And words of praise to lift us more. And this is what I mean by that. If someone says something to me or about me and there's no real relationship there, how well do you think I'm going to receive that? Even if it's good, oh, sweet, thank you. I appreciate your encouragement, right? Even if it's bad, someone says something to me, there's no real relationship, there's a lot of distance. I mean, it depends on what mood they catch me in, right? (laughs) But typically, I'm just gonna let it fall off. I'm just gonna let it roll off. Like, okay, yeah, we're all entitled to our own opinion. Um, I can remember one time when I, I got done preaching and there was a guy in the church who was like, hey, man, like, you were off today. You seemed like you were sweating, you kept wiping your hair, And I was just like, thanks, man, I appreciate that. That's really what I said. Because in my mind, I'm like, forgive me, Lord, this is church, I gotta be honest. In my mind, I'm like, is it really worth it? Is it worth it to be like, oh, you think I was off? Why don't you tell me how I was off? Oh, really, you you wanna be on next weekend? You wanna do this? I could have easily said that, but I was just like, hey, thank you so much for that feedback, I appreciate that. And I just kept it moving. Now, imagine if my Wife told me, Nate, you really dropped the ball. I just, that message didn't relate. I couldn't understand what you were saying. Your main point didn't make sense. How do you think I would feel? Hurt. I wouldn't be upset at her. I would be like, dang, I really did drop the ball. Because what she says carries weight. It matters. Why? Because there's not distance. We're close. And this is true. For any married person, you know, the closer you get to someone, the more potential for pain there is. Amen? Everybody's scared. But also, the more potential for joy. Right? Amen. Husbands, that was your chance. That was a layup for you. My gosh, I can only do so much, right? Here's my point. We have to learn how to see people clearly. We have to close the distance. We have to close the gap. And we have to learn how to relate to one another in a way that God calls us to, in a way that brings more unity, in a way that brings more purpose, more joy. And confrontation and division are necessary, right? But you view those things differently as you're moving towards someone. This is just an obstacle that's going to help us get closer, not drive us apart. We have to be able to look within, though at the ways that we have been viewing and relating to the people around us. And you ever notice how good the news outlets are on preying on our weaknesses as human beings? I mean, a lot of people my age will be like, well, I don't watch the news. Well, you've watched social media, so you might as well watch the news, right? And so I think all of us either watch the news or watch social media. And isn't it as if the algorithms are bent towards riling us up in a way that we've never been riled up before? And it has this way of of putting these people that you disagree with in front of your face in such a way that you just want to hurl rocks. You want to offer your constructive and profound opinion. And it's because drama distracts and confrontation gets clicks. And I'm going to be honest. Oftentimes, it's like the fanatical people that really rub me the wrong way. Have you ever met someone who's just a fanatic, and I don't even care about what? It kind of scares me. And I don't care what it's about, right? Here's an easy one. Like, we've got a huge CrossFit community in this room. And we've got some fanatics. Yeah, I saw you look down into the side. That's a tell right there for lies. If you ever ask someone a question and look down to the side, they're lying. Half this room just did that right now. We got a lot of CrossFitters in the room. And you're so fanatical about your form of exercise that all other forms can just fail in comparison. They don't even matter. We've got ultra runners in the room. Austin, I'll pick on you all the time now. I post my two miles, and I feel like Austin is just subconsciously saying, why don't you do that pace for six more miles? (laughs) He's not saying that. I just feel that. And I'm getting to a point here. I'm revealing something that is really important for us to not miss. You see what I'm doing in my head and my heart, making assumptions about what other people are thinking? But still, if you're fanatical, you got to watch out. It's terrifying. Swifties. I know some of you drove hours And in in, in the rain, Taylor Swift, yeah, I mean, she she is amazing, but Disney, what is it, Disney parents? Is that what they're called? Disney adults? (laughs) Y'all are pretty terrifying too, I'm not going to (laughs) lie. If I'm not careful, I can start to look down on people who live life differently than I do. I can who share different passions than myself. And I can become argumentative, I can become condescending, I can become critical, I can become condemning with my heart, my perspective, and my words just because someone lives life differently than me or sins differently than me. Why? And I'm I'm just gonna lay this out there. I truly believe this to, to be the reason why. Because I'm looking down on myself. And when I'm looking down on myself, it's easy for me to look down on others. It is. And that's the unexamined part of my life, the ugly underbelly of my spiritual side that is governing my contempt for others, that is bringing up this critical spirit that makes me condemn other people that maybe look, live, or act differently than I do. And it's human nature to hide behind our brokenness and our shame by trying to compare myself to someone else and in doing so, judging them because I want to feel better about myself. Does that make sense? I know I'm like going on this mind bender right now. I feel like we're watching the movie Inception. (laughs) I wanna look at a parable. I think that was seven minutes for those of you that timed me. I wanna look at a parable. It's in Luke chapter 18, verse nine. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at the ways Jesus reveals our human hearts to ourselves and to an audience in such a powerful way. And this parable is convicting. And it shows how because we're looking down on ourselves, it's so easy to look down on others. And I wanna read this to you, and then we're gonna unpack it. Luke chapter 18, verse nine. To some who were confident of their own righteousness... And looked down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. Now, if you're in your room and you're just thinking, hey, that's not me. It might be you, all right? It might be you. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this here tax collector. I fast twice a week, I tithe, I give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector, the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, Jesus said, rather than the other, went home justified before God for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Look up and around, but never look down. Look up and around, but never look down. There was a real problem during this time and it's a problem that is age old, and you had a very religious problem that existed. And what religion does is religion controls and manipulates. That's what religion does. And so you had these Pharisees that were religious leaders. And so their job was to teach the Torah or the law, but they did it in such a way that they used it to control and to manipulate other people in order to keep themselves in power, to maintain their influence, but also to get other people to do things that they wanted them to do. And we see in our own lives and in the New Testament that Jesus didn't come for religion, he didn't. He actually came to abolish religion and he came to show the world that he came for relationship, not religion. And this is what is mind blowing to me. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, they were people who were supposed to help lead others into a life of duty and delight, into freedom. And even as they teach the law, do you know what laws are for? They're for our good. Have you been to a place with no traffic laws? I've been to Haiti a lot. And I actually come alive there because I grew up in Southern California where traffic is insane. And so when I'm in a place with no traffic laws, I kind of feel at home. But my wife was terrified. She was terrified. Why are there laws? Laws are are given because there's a duty to uphold. But in upholding this duty, there is a freedom to enjoy driving safely. And so laws were given for our good, but the Pharisees used the law in order to manipulate and control. That's not why Jesus came. That's not why God gave his law. It was, God gave his law so that human beings would flourish and thrive. And so you have this Pharisee using this law in the wrong way. And as human beings, we think our worth is tied to our performance, don't we? And this is what leads us to compare ourselves to other people. Because we think our worth is tied to our performance. And so what does that do to us? We're constantly on the lookout. How do we measure up? How am I doing better than this person? And if we're not careful and if we don't examine the unexamined parts of our life, we can miss out on the natural pull to hide behind our religious track record. And what we do is we miss the ways that we minimize our own self-righteousness and we maximize the fault of others. Both Pharisees and tax collectors exist in the church. These two people came to the temple to pray. I think Jesus is doing something that is amazing and he's showing us that there is a Pharisee and a tax collector inside every single one of us. Truly. The parable starts off by stating the reality that both the Pharisee and the tax collector were welcomed at the temple to pray. But the heart posture and perspective of both couldn't have been more different. And what I want to do is I want to take a look at the Pharisee and I want to look at how he views himself and in so doing how he views others. And then I want to look at the tax collector. And I want to look at how the tax collector views himself and in doing so, how he views others. So the Pharisee, this is what the Pharisee says. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. <laughs> wow. Wow. So the Pharisee we see has this position. His starting place is this position of moral superiority. And what this does is this puts him on this imaginary pedestal that he lives his life on. And in so doing, it starts off, Jesus says, because of his self-righteousness, he looked down on everyone else. Look up and around, but never look down. How do we know when we're operating out of this perspective, the perspective that the Pharisee has? We know when we start to view other people through their problems. We know when we start to label other people based off of their problems or their past habits or their hang-ups, whatever it is. And we justify ourselves by our performance, by the way that we live our life. And what we do is we start to label people based off of their sin And in doing so, we forget about their humanity. We actually forsake their humanity when we do that. Have you ever done this? All of us have done this. Have you ever compared yourself to someone else and you thought, well, hey, at least I've never done something like that. Have you ever done that? We all have. There's this natural bend of our human heart to do this, to rely on our religious track record in order to save us and justify us. And when we do that, we compare ourselves spiritually to the people around us. Hey, I know I messed up, but at least I'm not like so-and-so, right? I can give countless specific examples and I try not to do that because all of us do this and I don't need to give specific examples. I believe the Lord is doing that right now. I truly do. This is maximizing the sin of others and minimizing our own. We're not viewing other people clearly when we do this. It's because we don't view ourselves clearly. It's a very unhealthy way to view ourselves that leads us to relate to other people very poorly. And immediately after we maximize the sin of other people, we're quick to justify ourselves, right? Based on our moral track record in our religious performance. He did this. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all that I get. So not only is he looking down on everyone else, but he's so quick to justify himself by bringing up the things that he does. See, God, look at all these things that I do for you. But where's your heart? Where's your heart? What's wild to me, what's so crazy to me, is this Pharisee thought that he was looking up to God when he went to the temple to pray. He literally thought that he was doing the Lord's work. And I'm here to tell you, church, it's impossible to look up to God when you are busy looking down on others. It's impossible. It's impossible. And it's impossible to look down on someone else unless you feel superior to them. It's impossible. And what God is doing deep down is he's removing this lie that we carry in our hearts as human beings that we are better than anyone else. That's what God is doing. And I love his word because his word does that. In James chapter two, verse 10, James is so quick with leveling the playing field. And he says, whoever keeps the whole law, Pharisees, and yet stumbles at just one point it doesn't matter how small it is they are guilty of breaking all of it that is why the law was given to help humanity recognize our need for a savior but what we're so quick to do we're so crafty to do is to take something and manipulate it so that we can use it to control others and make ourselves look better that's what this pharisee is doing A couple verses later in James, he says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law. That gives freedom. The law is supposed to give freedom. The law is not supposed to give bondage because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I remember growing up and I would go to Wednesday Night Youth Group And I grew up in a really broken home. And I remember we just acted a fool at Youth Group. God bless all the youth pastors. I truly believe it's the hardest job in the world, (laughs) seriously. And I remember there was one verse that I learned and memorized in Youth Group. To this day, it's probably, I feel like I forget every verse that I memorized, but not this one. And it was, I know, it's true. I went to seven years of seminary and it's like, I forgot everything. Romans chapter three, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I think there was a reason why God gave me that verse to remember. Because it doesn't matter how good I'm doing, I need to always be reminded that mercy triumphs over judgment. And to break one, one small part of the law is to break it all. And I need to be reminded that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that the law was given for me to recognize my need for a savior. Look up and around, but never look down. And now I wanna look at the perspective of the tax collector. Luke chapter 18, verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance, didn't even feel worthy enough to be in proximity to other people. Have you been there? Have you been there? Maybe you're there right now. Maybe it took everything inside of you just to get in that chair that you're in this morning. And I wanna commend your courage. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. But he beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God's word says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The most dangerous disease that anyone can ever have. Someone's streaming the service, I like that. Giving, giving us some more views, <laughs> great. The most dangerous disease that anyone can ever have is the disease that often goes undiagnosed. It's the disease that goes undiagnosed. Why? Because there's so much pain and heartache that could have been minimized. And this tax collector, and I'm here to, to I just wanna give you a, a deep perspective, right? I don't wanna put myself into the text here, right? But I believe the tax collector had mostly a right perspective of himself, mostly. And this is why the tax collector saw himself clearly as someone that was in need of God's mercy. Someone that was in need of God's grace. And that's all of us today. On our worst days, but especially on our best days, amen? Because then, it's then that I'm lured into the trap of relying back on myself and my performance. Especially on our best days. And this is why I say mostly saw himself clearly. Self righteousness isn't fit for the kingdom of God. But guess what? Neither is self loathing. Neither is self loathing. Self righteousness isn't fit for the kingdom of God, but neither is self loathing. Look up and around but never look down, not on someone else, especially not on yourself. Why? And I'm not saying that the tax collector was self-loathing, right? I'm sharing my human perspective and what happens to me when I'm caught up in sin and when I'm living life based off of my moral track record and my spiritual performance. When I'm failing, you know what I'm tempted to do? I'm tempted to hang my head low. And I'm tempted to wallow in shame. I'm tempted to feel unworthy of being in the presence of other believers because of what I've done. Look up and around, but never look down. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Human beings since the beginning of time have been trying to, I'll say in quotes because I want to be very clear here, have been trying to appease the gods since the beginning of time. I'm fascinated by the heart of humanity and even culture in general and human behavior. Since the beginning of time, sacrifice has always been a part of worship as human beings. And what is sacrifice but a reminder that we don't measure up. that we need to to appease a a spiritual being, right? That we need to offer something as a sacrifice because we don't measure up on our own. And because of that, I had this thought, and I I feel like this thought was spurred from a book that I was reading, but because of that, using that word justified, we live our life in a courtroom. What do I mean by that? We live our life in a courtroom and we're constantly trying to prove to the world around us that we are worth it, that we are worthy, that we're innocent, that we belong. And we're constantly comparing ourselves to others, finding ways to prove to the world around us that we do measure up, that our existence is justified. And I wanted to tell you something. For anybody in here that maybe spiritually, figuratively walked in here with their head hanging low, that you're not defined by your past. You don't have to defend yourself. You can walk out of the courtroom that you've been living in because someone else walked in and his name is Jesus. And Jesus walked into the courtroom, took the verdict, took the punishment, so that every single one of us could walk out, free men and free women. And now it's our duty to not only view ourselves correctly as loved, as worth it enough for Jesus, and that's worth it enough for me, amen. It's nice to have the approval of others, but I don't need it when I have the approval of God. Amen? And because of that, it's now my duty to relate to others in a way that brings them that same freedom. You know what free people do? They free people. You know what healed people do? they heal people and this is why you and I so desperately need to recognize the gift that we've been given in Jesus Christ because I'm telling you even after you come to faith in Jesus there's a reason why the enemy is called the accuser that's a courtroom word he's constantly trying to accuse and make you live in a place of shame feeling worthless with your head hanging low Jesus came to do the exact opposite. He actually came and bore our shame. Right? And even in the midst of our sin, he still died for us. I have this picture of Jesus walking into the courtroom, and it's like he taps you on your shoulder, and he's like, hey, you're free to go. I've got this. I've got this. And once you recognize that freedom that you have, you live in such a way that you bring freedom to the people around you. And when you do the work of going back in your past so that you can go forward and you see God clearly as a God that pursues you, no matter how far you've gone, no matter how messy things might be, no matter how bad this week was, no matter what you did last night, right? It matters, but it truly doesn't matter compared to the amount of grace that God has for you in this place. And then you start to do the work of inner healing and you find healing. And now because you're healed, you start to heal other people. Free people, free people. Healed people, heal people. Don't let religion or the opinion of anyone else pull you back into the courtroom, church. In our striving to be good, we must always remember that there is only one who is truly good, always good, and it's because of him and his goodness that we are good. Amen? Amen. Look up and around, but never look down. Look up and around, but never look down. And so at this time, I just wanted to remind all of us to continue to look up, to God and his word. Continue to be reminded of his grace and his mercy and his love and his goodness. And look around. Look around to a world that needs you. Needs you. With the present and spirit of God inside of you, you carry something in you and with you that the world needs around you and oftentimes it's the people that are closest to you that need you to be healed and that need you to be free and never look down don't look down on anyone else especially not yourself because when you look down on yourself that's when you begin to look down on others amen let's pray God, we come before you right now and we recognize the ways that we don't measure up. We recognize the ways that we have failed. We recognize all of our mistakes, our hurts, our habits, and our hangups. But more than that, we recognize your goodness, Lord. Your goodness that is overflowing into our hearts and into our lives. And God, there's people in this room that are probably and maybe sitting in circumstances that feel anything but good. And it's hard to look up and to be reminded of your goodness when life doesn't feel so good. And so I pray for anybody that is there right now that has walked into this place today and spiritually their head has been hanging low I pray God that you would grab them by the cheeks and that you would lift their eyes and that you would remind them of their worth and their value. Help us to look up. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to truly believe your word and to live your word in such a way that it brings freedom and healing to the people around us, especially ourselves. And may we never, ever look down. Help us to be reminded of your goodness in spite of whatever it is that we're going through right now in our lives, God. You are good so that we don't have to be. You are good. That's our anthem, Lord, when our circumstances don't feel good, when the world is falling apart around us, we're reminded that you are good. In spite of our shortcomings, God, you are good. And it's your goodness and your righteousness that makes us good. And for that, we praise you. Let's sing together. Amen.